2: Interchangeable Fight.
0: Uh, Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Annie. Today, we're doing something a little different. Today, this is our first IWL Reads Book Club. So, we've been calling it the Read Less Basic Book Club. Mm -hmm. Hashtag Read Less Basic. Has a nice little ring to it. Um, And so, we are lucky today to have a couple of basic white ladies. Just kidding. um, Not basic (laughs) white ladies, or
1: being less basic. They're woker than they were before, because they read this book. Yeah, there you go. Is that
0: true? Uh, Yes. Can can we go around and introduce... ourselves. Uh, So your name, pronouns, something about yourself that people can pay attention to.
3: My name is Hallie Kanegi. I am a mom, runner, writer, PR lady, she,
2: hers. That's me. Good morning. I'm Elisa Solberg, and uh, my pronouns are she, her. I have two boys, uh, a 21-year-old and a 19-year-old, and I work for the health department. Cool. (laughs) Awesome.
0: That's great. Uh, well, I kind of want to start with our first question, which is just simply like, what stood out to you about this book? What resonated with you? Where do, where do we want to
1: start? I can't, wow. I, <laughs> there's like so much that resonated. so much so to so say. Um, well, the, can I tell you a funny story about sure. reading this book? When I first got it, I brought it home and my wife, I said something about, oh, I got this book. It's going to be so good. It's about white fragility. And She's like, I know what that book's about. And she basically said she explained what she thought the book was about, and she was actually pretty accurate. She like she's like, well, white people get defensive because they think people will think they're racist, but they are racist and then they need to work on it. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then we read it out loud like as a family, like we do family read alouds with nonfiction books at my house and so then we read it at home. Um, and was very sweet. Her, I liked her prediction was really <laughs> accurate though, but that was my funny story about like that like if you think about it in the most basic terms, hashtag read less basic. That the – it's really about white people doing better at being less racist.
2: I think it's interesting that you say that because John and I read it out loud to one another as Mm -hmm. well. And we kind of – I think we didn't realize, but I think we both thought that it was going to be a journey. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, oh, this is going to be – this this book is – it has something for us that we don't – we aren't aware of yet. And that's really, I think, how it affected me is that it's been kind of – it's been a journey. And I feel like now that I'm just – I'm just on the beginning of the journey now that I've read the the book through. Yeah. So that's so cool that it
1: was it's affecting us in different ways, right? And that's it really speaks to how powerful the book is, right? That it wherever you are, that it it kind of gets you.
0: How
3: would you summarize it or describe it to people? I think so. When I bought this book. Like, this is the kind of book, and there's a whole chapter in the book kind of about the good, bad binary, the good white Mm -hmm. people, the bad, racist white people. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of book you buy and you're like, well, I'm obviously a good white person. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. I'm going to read this book about all the bad things the other white people are doing and pat myself Mm -hmm. on the back and feel better and then, like, quote it to my friends and feel kind (laughs) of woke. Um Like, obviously, I was hoping to learn some things also, but like, that's kind of how you want to go into it. And then you go into it and you're like, no, this book is for the good white people. And it's Mm -hmm. actually, you need to sit down and process and think about how, okay, there are a lot of other things about my life and the interactions I've had with people over the years that I need to reconsider and be more thoughtful about. And just because I don't have high school yearbook photos of me in blackface does not mean (laughs) that I'm a good, not racist white person by default. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great insight. I was thinking too about how it's, um, I spe- specifically when she talks about people who work in education mm-hmm. and how, and it, her as a sociologist and an educator, kind of talking about about those of us who in working in healthcare and working in PR, where you're working with people all the time, right? That's your bread and butter. That's your everyday, right? Um, some folks work solo, but like for those of us who work with people, it's it's almost like a manual for better behavior and better like thoughtfulness mm-hmm. about how you interact with people who are different than you. And I that was really, I found it actually be a really practical guide. I was worried it wouldn't be because she's. I thought as a sociologist, she might be more less pop sociology and more like mm-hmm. serious sociology. Like mm-hmm. it would be, read like a dissertation, but it
3: didn't. It was really accessible. Yeah, so that was, was really nice. readable. It was. Mm-hmm. It, it was yeah. a fast read. I yeah. kind of sat yeah. down. I was on vacation feeling like I hadn't done my homework because I hadn't finished it <laughs> Uh And I sat down and was like, okay, today yeah. is the day. I'm going to read it. And then it went by so fast. Right. And I was also reading passages out loud to the other people that were there's so, there's snowed a in a with <laughs> passages, really white people. <laughs> people. This is really
1: important. You're trapped here with me. You will yep. listen.
0: Um, I really like the, so like getting the nerd English part of me um, I really like the layout of the books. since we're mm-hmm. talking about how it's written I think just starting with the like the challenges of talking to white people about racism yeah, and then just how she moves from that to racism the white flow supremacy. is really good uh-huh. yeah. and then moving into all these like different elements and then mm-hmm. we'll talk I think a lot more later about like the last couple cha- chapters around rules of engagement and yeah. white women tears yeah. um, and what do we do next but is there anything especially in the beginning that really resonated with folks um, I see lots of sticky notes there. If you were in my class, I'd be like, yes. Yes.
1: Anyway. Good
2: job. I think. Um, Lots of highlights. Yeah. Um, for me and right out of the gate in the author's note on the forward mm-hmm. um, exclusion by those at the table doesn't depend on willful intent. We don't have to intend to exclude for the results yeah. of our actions to be um, exclusionary. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that's something that I've experienced. And so I was able to really quickly kind of get a personal experience. Um you know, the, those in power don't have to do a lot to stay in power. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. they, and, and they don't, and they can convince themselves easily that they don't have blood on their hands because mm-hmm. they're, they're no longer. You know, we're not. Um, you know, overt or violent um, acts of racism. Mm-hmm. We're not. We're not. That's not what we're engaged in. We're engaged in just maintaining a system. I
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, love that she says that racism is not an event. I think you said it earlier. It's, a, it's a system, and and so. I violated that too. You did that. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs>
0: Yeah, even a part of being out the gate, there's a great line that's just like, a, this is a bracing call for white folks everywhere to see their whiteness for what it is and to seize the opportunity to make things better now. Yeah, And mm-hmm. I just thought, you know what? For a book about white people and white fragility, that's also like recognizing the fragility that they're going to have as they're yes.
1: trying to read
3: this book. <laughs> right. Yeah, she's but really gentle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was gentle with my fragility yeah. as I read the book. Yeah. yeah.
1: She's, uh, it's funny, like, I because i don't think the book is like hand holding at all but she it's almost like she's like a sherpa to the yeah. to the knowledge right like she she she's like a guide right and it doesn't feel um yeah it feels like you can actually engage with it readily that i, I think like think you that said it earlier too.
2: hope too, that um she talks about her own experience mm-hmm. yes her That's... personal
1: stories are really compelling yeah yeah there's one i remember we actually saw her when mm-hmm. she came or, to Tacoma with talking about the book and there's one um incident she talks about with her friend who was buying a house in New Orleans, was it in New Orleans, Louisiana, and asking about, you know, her saying good that good neighborhoods and bad yeah. neighborhoods and um, and then kind of trying to switch the her verbiage to, well, I'm just going to miss you, right? But really her, everything she was saying was really kind of coded language for um, it's a scary place where there are a lot of black people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and how those personal stories that she tells about, and I wonder about I think Hope and I talked about this previously, but her friends who read this are like, "Oh, was that me? Did I do that right um because we're all we've all done things like that, right, mm-hmm. like we've all said things like that or heard things like that, um, and it's it's not unfamiliar to any white person, especially white women um so i yeah, I thought that was really her personal stories are really compelling, mm-hmm.
0: So why do you think um, anyone really why do we th- why do we think that now people are starting to talk about white fragility in a way that we haven't talked about before, like I've, obviously these books not that old but and it's not like this conversation hasn't been happening but it seems like it's taking on uh, the front of conversations more. And is it, I, is I, it because we live Seattle, in a post-racial so society? Well, I'm I'm curious if people will, yeah if you <laughs> that was a joke. That's not that's not why. <laughs> Hey. Hey. <laughs> I felt the sarcasm there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what, do y'all, what do y'all think? Why are people talking about it more? Why are we talking about it more? It's a tough question. Yeah. It's a very tough <laughs> <question>. Thinking hard.
3: <laughs> mm. I mean, all, all of these issues aren't new, right? Like, mm. um, I continue to be surprised by blackface photos, mm. which... I shouldn't be surprised by. There's probably a passage in the book that would explain by why I'm surprised <laughs> yeah. by that as a white <laughs> woman. But there's a lot of, I mean, just in terms of national conversation, mm. um, there's been so much discussion about overt racism and the rise of white nationalism and all of these groups. And I think it does feel like, well, these are probably the conversations that black people have been having for years and years and years. It's become more mm. the conversation among kind of the good white people has become a bit more sophisticated in that we're not just saying, okay, well, I didn't march with a tiki torch, so mm-hmm. I'm cool, I'm not racist. I'm actually yeah. kind of considering some of the deeper layers to how we've all been living our
1: mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, Elisa, were you going to say something?
2: Oh, I was just thinking about the when we all met that first day, I think it was Father's Day um, before Mm -hmm. we started um, Tacoma against Nazis. And, you know, my, my input into that conversation was about systemic racism, but we, we had a very real threat in our community that we Mm -hmm. wanted to address. And I think that, um, you know, I mean, we all know the current political circumstances embolden that kind of behavior and it's back in our faces again. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, it, I'm fifty. For me, it is just jump-starting that again, and you know, I I have a personal responsibility. I think this book gives me gives words to something that I've known for a long time, yeah. and mm-hmm. and yeah. sort of jump-started that that personal responsibility again for me.
1: Yeah, I think some of the this people working on white, especially white scholars working on this, like people like D'Angelo, um, and building off of the incredible work of women of color like Kimberly Crenshaw who described things in the 80s like intersectionality the, what you said about the verbiage, the vocabulary mm-hmm. there's um they're not new words but they're used in new ways to describe mm-hmm. the um the experience of racism um and some of those systems i mean these words we're never put in these combinations in the nineteen fifties. Mm-hmm. They were never put in these combinations in the nineteen sixties and now they're being put in these new combinations that just just are descriptive.
2: Yeah. I, I think, think
1: describing it is so important.
2: I think you're right. So so for me it is always feeling that guilt and yeah. not ever being able to put words mm-hmm. to it. I'm a good white person, like you mm-hmm. say, Haley. I'm a good I'm I'm mm-hmm. not a racist. Um, yeah. and I could say that to myself for a long time, but I always had that underlying guilt that she's now put words mm-hmm. to and mm-hmm. and as you say, given us a, a path to mm-hmm. begin to address in our in a very um, in a very personal way, yeah. in the way that I engage in the world. Mm-hmm. I think there's a generational
3: piece too, where mm-hmm. I feel like so I'm in my early 30s, mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm less than a decade into kind of an awakening to the fact that oh my gosh, people are still super racist. That's still mm-hmm. a thing. I think there are a lot of because we're post-racial, back to the well, right. <laughs> I mean, how many of us grew up in the '90s and the Obama. '80s, Fine. learning about civil rights as a thing of the past? Yeah. Talking about, you know, I don't see race; we're all the same color underneath. All of the things she kind of lays mm-hmm. out in the colorblindness chapter, mm-hmm. um, and I have, you know, personal responsibility and accountability, and how I kind of internalized mm-hmm. that belief and learned it, but I do think that was really a focus in how people were talking to children for mm-hmm. a few decades, and yeah, I man. think there's a lot of us that are probably in that kind of in and our 20, of 20s and 30s mindset. who are now kind yeah. of like, oh, my gosh, and for me, um, in 2008, I went down and was campaigning for Barack Obama in Texas mm-hmm. uh, wow. during the primaries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was my first experience as a, you know, a, how old was I in 2008? Probably 21. Um as a young white college student from the Pacific Northwest, that was the first time I'd ever heard anyone say that N-word mm-hmm. out loud. And I was shocked because mm-hmm. I thought, what? This is 2008. People yeah, don't say that don't word say that. anymore. Yeah. And how wrong was I? But I had been kind of in that mm-hmm. bubble growing up. And There's a great line in the intro that that reminds me of where basically
0: she said, I'll just read it. White progressives can be the most difficult peop- for people of color because to the degree that we think that we have arrived... We'll put our energy into making sure that others see us as having arrived right. and that we cause daily damage to people of color. And I, I feel like both those lines are both convicting mm-hmm. and also very um, telling, revealing of what actually is happening. Mm-hmm. Kind of to your point. Mm-hmm. I think you had a black
1: president. Yeah. yeah, right. A post-racial society. I, there's something about um, women in particular, too, that I think um, I'm glad that you brought up that passage because it's it. Yeah, um, that women have through kind of, like, intersecting oppressions in other areas, right, It may have um, a slightly more of an insight of, like, different types of oppression, um, but it it doesn't mean that white women have the keys to understand all of the oppressions all the time. And I think it was—I'm watching 13th with my—the documentary with my um, Honors U.S. History classes right now, and it's a great documentary. I highly recommend it. But um, just talking—it talks about— just the idea that um, that white women are may have some understanding of oppression, but that to be white in America means that you don't, you cannot fundamentally understand the experience of being black in America. Mm. And I think, and I, I'm not even kidding. I think the person who said that in that documentary is Newt Gingrich.
2: Mm.
1: <laughs> so that's, that's like exciting. really saying something. Like that, Newt, Ging- Newt Gingrich is like, if you're white in America, you cannot fully understand what it means to be black in america um because it's just it's another level that yeah white women may be empathetic sympathetic but it's not you haven't had the lived experience of being black in america or being a person of color
2: you have a quote there Oh, my God, I have so many, but yes, I don't want to jump to it. the back of the book too fast. Um, I mean, this is the one that... Spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> okay. So um, I know that I have, I have blind spots. This is uh, in um, way towards the back. I, I know I have blind spots and unconscious uh, investments in racism. My investments are reinforced every day in mainstream society. I did not see this system. I did not set this system up, but it does unfairly benefit me. I do use it to my advantage, and I am responsible for interrupting it. I need to work hard to change my role in this system, but I can't do it alone. This understanding leads me to gratitude when others help me. So I think that's if if I understand what you're saying, you're saying that, you know i I, I can't recognize I don't I was born in this system. I was mm-hmm. raised in this this system with a white with a with a white racial frame. Yeah. I can I don't know what it is to be a person of color in this society. I don't even recognize oftentimes my own microaggressions and right. I need other white people who are maybe further along on the continuum. Mm-hmm. Um I need to work really hard not to be defensive against them. Yeah. When they challenge me, right. I need to also n- work really hard not to be defensive when a person of color challenges mm-hmm. my microaggressions. Right. And um, I know you were we were going to talk about some of our own personal experiences, but I have that at work a lot of the time. I, mm. I supervise people and I um, and it's interesting because I think that as people get to understand that I, that I'm reading this book and that I work with Tacoma against Nazis, that they do feel more comfortable to say to me, hey, you know, you do you realize what you just said? Do you realize how you just yeah. behaved in that mm-hmm. meeting or um, and and. And and staying in that discomfort when somebody Mm -hmm. raises that for you is like a whew. Yeah, you know that's a really tough thing to do. Absolutely. Um, and then I say that, and I think you know, like we've been talking about, like it compares. It does not compare to the way that people of color must feel. Yeah. In this system. Um. But I. So I have a responsibility to stay in that discomfort. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
2: And to ensure that I'm changing the way that I behave. Yeah.
1: And if you have been treated um badly because of your gender in our society too. Not using that as an excuse to be like, well my oppression is worse, but using it to leverage your empathy and your concern and your care to help empower other people, right? I that yeah, absolutely. I realized that, like being a teacher that I I ask solicit feedback from students all the time about like, hey, does this work for you? Could I do something differently? Because I really want their feedback about how they learn and um I that's actually I've I've been really fortunate for that to make me feel more comfortable getting feedback about things in other areas of my life. Um, but it's if you don't have people who give you feedback, that sometimes can be limiting, too. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I don't you don't have someone who is um, talking to you about this regularly or it's like you, what Haley was saying about like kind of like being in a bubble. Right. You don't necessarily get challenged when you need to be. I was,
3: um, I cannot find this pas- passage, but the one that kind of was the biggest punch in the gut to me was basically, hey, white people, if you have friends who are black, friends who are people of color, if you're not having conversations about race, that doesn't mean that you're off the hook and you haven't been ding, doing, ding, 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 um, <laughs> being racist. Yep. It means that, um, you know, maybe you haven't made the space safe enough to get mm. that feedback. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And that's, I mean, I need to think about that one. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: I marked that, that part, too. Um, And just kind of thinking about the space that I, and the way that I engage with people of color in my own house, and also, like, with family, or, like, um, a lot of my in-laws are, are people of color. Mm-hmm. And I, I was looking at that. I, I had it marked, too, and now I can't find it. I thought I... Put a big, giant note on it, I too. I had a different
3: color bookmark in again. Ah, I which one I um,
0: But even into that, to that point, like, people are not – if you're not talking about it, mm-hmm. people are not comfortable talking to you about it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, oh, are mm-hmm. you looking around? I also think part of the extension of that is are you looking around and you don't have any friends of color, right? Or you only have coworkers of color mm-hmm. or you only know the post office person. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we need to start – especially in the Northwest, I think we need to start examining – those relationships that we have and then and then also looking back internally to say like mm-hmm. am I the kind of person that someone wants to be friends with or am I a walking microaggression <laughs> or like
1: right. where's the balance right and, and then how do you how do you with that to, yeah. to well, change then, things how do you meet new people and make friends without thinking I'd like to check off this box right like I'd yeah. like to have more friends who are Cambodian for example can I it, treating your friends like a checkbox, right because you are working um uh, on having more diverse friends, right? Like, maybe it's it doesn't start with treating like your friend list like a checkbox. It's like treating people like human beings, and then they want to know you, and they trust you, and they feel comfortable with you. Is I, it
0: page one forty six.
1: Maybe. Oh, we're on the we're on the hunt. We're on the, for we're the,
0: on the page. Um, well, just because this line says. Um Unfortunately, it's, it's rare for white people to own and repair on an inevitable patterns of racism. Thus, relationship with white people tends to be less authentic for people of color. Um, and, and just being honest, like nobody mm-hmm. wants to say that and admit that. But like, let's take a moment and look at your own relationships mm-hmm. and my own relationships and consider like why people want to spend time with you or don't, don't want to spend time yeah. with you. And how do you um, yeah, how do you just address that? Is that the page you are
3: looking at? No, oh, okay. but oh, that one's good, too, though. <laughs> I mean, it also makes me think about the friends that I have who are black, who we ha- if we haven't had real conversations about mm-hmm. this. Yeah. What does that mean?
2: I think there is a part in the book where she says that she knows she's doing something right if people are confronting her yeah. because it is a safe space. And so it's it's interesting uh, right before the podcast started, Hope and I were talking about um, that, about once you start to have this conversation, then people feel co- comfortable yeah. with you too. Um, to bring more to your attention, mm-hmm. and it it just never gets easy. It's mm-hmm. never it it's mm-hmm. never comfortable. And I love that she uses that word in the book yep. yeah. because it's for us for white people. It's a it's a it's a comfort level. Yeah. Like, you not know? Comfortable I'm comfortable
1: with this right now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm
2: really
1: uncomfortable. Like I don't care about you. yeah. It's almost yeah. like the balance between being open hearted and being uncomfortable. Like, how do you do both? Yeah,
2: yeah, and it's okay to be uncomfortable and to like. For me, I get catatonic. Ooh, I don't know what to do, and then I have to think about it for a couple of days, Mm -hmm. and then. But but the the examples that she gives about how to have these conversations allows you to come back at some later time and say, Mm -hmm. "Hey, okay, I know I made this mistake. Right? Um, How did that make you feel? Mm -hmm. Um, What can I do better? Mm -hmm. Um, That that's actually a gift." Mm-hmm. Um, to have that opportunity.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: There was that video that was going around a couple of years ago, and it was like a fake
3: HR video, and it was. How to talk to the white people at your office place yeah. <laughs> about their racism. Yeah. And white people are crying and have to be comforted and it's like a 12-step yeah. program. That's yeah. funny. Was I feel like any- that could be really actually useful in some
1: workplaces. <laughs>
0: Was yeah. there anything um, surprising? And I, I picked that word not because it's like, wow, this is surprising, but sometimes I read something and I'm like, huh, and I didn't realize like I would be, I would have that response to it or I, I wouldn't, mm. I don't know if I'm like surprised that she talked about it in that way or I'm surprised by the that I'm having my own reaction to something that shouldn't surprise me. Was there anything that stood out to folks around that? Mm. Or that caught you off
1: guard, maybe? I am actually surprised at how reflective she is. And that's a weird thing to say because she wrote a book about it. But um, the fact that she tells vulnerable stories about struggling with discomfort and that she talks about the times she's hurt her friends um, – That's just so hard to talk about. It's like talking about money with your family. Like, you, it's just not, yeah. you don't, it's, she, there are parts in there where she, she makes herself really vulnerable. And I think that that is a good lesson for anyone who reads the book. Um, just because it's, like Elisa said, that discomfort, you have to lean into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she shows it's possible by telling stories from her own life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't, it shouldn't have shocked me because I'm like, it's a nonfiction book and it's about race and racism and it's by a white (laughs) author and she obviously is going to tell stories about her experience but like um there are certain things you just don't talk about right in polite company meaning white middle class company um and she kind of just takes the lid off the Mm. can right and it's like hey but look let's look at it and talk about it um and so her i guess it's her candor i think is the word i'm looking for she's very candid about talking about it and I can see how, as a sociologist, she would be able to say, like, "Well, I'm talking about in sociological terms, but it's personal. Like, there are stories in it that are very personal." Um, so, the one that stands out um, that I can I'm thinking about is um, how many there are times when she's um, had Italian Americans come to her and be like, "Well, I'm Italian American. Italians Italians used to be discriminated against," and she's like, "But they because of assimilation, they're considered white now, right?" Um, but she tells these stories that. Um, that like, of have of like in real time having to kind of confront like, um, I don't know the the issues she faces as a as a facilitator, um, but then also like the super vulnerable stuff about like making comment about a co presenter's hair, hmm. and then being yep. told that's not appropriate. Um, hmm. So those personal stories really add an element of not it's not necessarily credibility. It's like a. You you believe that what she's saying is true because you're like oh you're giving examples which <laughs> we tell students to do all the time provide mm-hmm.
3: an example mm-hmm. give me some evidence right she's, and she does she's being vulnerable and so she's yeah. creating space for
2: mm-hmm.
3: us while we're reading this to be a little vulnerable and mm-hmm. considering different examples yeah that's a good yeah one. definitely
2: hmm.
3: one that just really stood out to me was it it's one of those where it shouldn't be surprising but it's just one of those like Oh, yeah, that this is true. And it's just in the list of, and anytime you do one of those privilege exercises, whether it's a workplace diversity mm-hmm. training, and they're like, okay, check the boxes. Mm-hmm. If it's true, I can power go flower. into any store at any time of night and yeah. expect help. Um, and one of these that I just, this was really powerful to me because. Um, Just travel and experiencing the outdoors and Mm. going to beautiful places Mm. and beautiful hikes is really important to me. But she talked about freedom of movement as an element of white privilege, which is, Mm -hmm. when I read that, I I mean, I know this to be true, but because Mm -hmm. of my white privilege and the space I occupy in the world, it's not uh, in the forefront of my mind at all Mm -hmm. times. And I kind of have to be reminded, but... Mm. um, all the places I perceive as beautiful are open to me racially, and my expectation is that I will have a pleasant and relaxing experience there. <laughs>
0: mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Anything mm. else that felt surprising or caught you?
2: I don't know if it was surprising necessarily, but the whole pa- the whole chapter on white women's tears yeah let's, was like let's, like let's talk about white crying yeah. white on, women what, white what tears. Should we all flip to you? Let's yeah. see, um, and we'll and then we'll take a break. Uh, it's uh, one thirty one. Is where it starts. I have white tears because I forgot my book at oh. home today. he's <laughs> crying here good, off, good off, off screen. In I think the 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 quote that just stands out to me is when a white woman cries, a black man gets hurt. Mm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And just remembering Emmett Till, yeah. the story yep. about Emmett yep. Till, yes. and. Um, yeah. So this, and just then, then I think this is the first time that I've actually read how my tears in a in a public space mm-hmm. um, detract from detract from. Uh, there's a there's a great quote. Um, it's 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 a little like I think she says it's a little like the EMT rushing to a scene of a crime and comforting the the person in the car who hit yeah. the, who hit the the uh, pedestrian. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know that in a public space we would come to the aid of a woman crying uh, over uh, racism uh, rather than comfort the you know mm-hmm. people who are directly impacted by uh, our system. So mm-hmm. that whole chapter was just mm-hmm. jarring. I think for me, yeah. Mm-hmm. The other yeah. piece. Oh, go ahead. Oh, good. Okay.
3: Oh, the well, along with there's two pieces of the white tears, right? So there's the one where it's kind of taking control of the, of the situation yep. and making yourself the victim but then yep. there's the kind of reaction mm. piece um, mm-hmm. and the, the passage I highlighted was tears that are driven by white guilt are self-indulgent mm. and I just every time there's a shooting of an unarmed black man mm-hmm. by a member of law enforcement how many posts on Facebook from your progressive white women friends post share these stories and say my heart hurts yeah. my heart hurts Yeah, and
0: like no, I, yeah. like, start, I start swearing at my, com- <laughs> my phone
3: or my computer. I don't even know where I'm going with this because I yeah. don't know what the answer to that yeah. is. But like that, mm-hmm. that's not gonna end systemic racism. Yeah, that's it's not gonna do squat. P- what are you doing about <laughs> it, right? Yeah, it's yeah.
0: not. That's that's what makes me so mad. And then I and then I also think about all the friends who I've watched, not necessarily friends, but like all the white women that I've watched. Then go out and, like, do something microaggression-y or just aggression-y <laughs> to people of color, and particularly men, kind of back to your oh, line, yes. um, about black men being at the brunt of that. And obviously, I'm married to black man. So um I, like, I witness that a lot, right? And it's really mm-hmm. frustrating. And I'm mm-hmm. um, also thinking about my role when I've done those same things, right? And so trying to be reflective, of course, to to do fewer or yeah. to do less um, and Just in the, that way.
3: The way, describing it as self-indulgent, yeah. I think that's yeah. something that I've thought about a lot and I haven't she kind of puts she put her finger on it for me where it's it, it feels good to feel bad sometimes right mm-hmm. you know like watching these videos and then um, I mean there have been plenty of think pieces about just how gratuitous mm-hmm. it is for white women in particular or white people to watch videos of police shootings and feel them and what is that going to actually do to stop these things from happening?
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the passage um, from that chapter that stood out to me, and actually there's this kind of a connected part on the next page on 134. It says, whether intended or not, when a white woman cries over some aspect of racism, all the attention immediately goes to her, demanding time, mm-hmm. energy, and attention from everyone in the room when they should be focused on ameliorating racism. Mm-hmm. So it focuses all the attention and energy on kind of the emotional experience and not on... What can actually be done to help solve the problem um, that's at the heart of the whatever's happening, and that the, the, related to that in one thirty six, um, she is quoting her. Uh, what well, she says that the woman of color I refer to in the opening of this chapter, um, it's infuriating because it's of its audacity of disrespect to our experience. Mm. You are crying because you are uncomfortable with your feelings when we are barely allowed to have any, mm. and I think that that's um, that's something that is often kind of neglected in this conversation is that people of color are supposed to be like stoic and um, not have emotions or feelings. And then white women get to have the cathartic experience of feeling bad. Right. Mm -hmm. And then um, black women are denied that, or they're, they're depicted as being hysterical or Mm -hmm. something when they're, maybe they're, you know, they're seeing their boys in their community who are being shot to death or they don't get to have that same emotional catharsis as white women do. So, um, I yeah. think it's
2: interesting because I think the placement of this chapter in the book yeah. is like it's like a call to action for me. It's just like yes.
1: yeah
2: okay, and I, so I think it's interesting. I don't know if that was intentional, but then yeah. it kind of takes us into the last part of the book, which is okay. Now this mm-hmm. is how you can personally yeah take up this call. Um, so this yeah, like I could even just feel it as we were talking about it. It's like right. just like this, you know, fire in the belly that mm-hmm. this chapter brings to the book.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Let's take a quick break and come back. Oh my gosh, Annie. So when's your next vacation?
1: I don't know. It's really hard to plan. There's like a me, Angela baby. It's hard to travel with a baby. So I'm kind of, I don't know, just like kind of vacation- sober right now you know what
0: i'm saying (laughs) well you need to get away like make a getaway and get away and plus haven't you been building up your alaska miles
1: well obviously what self-respecting seattle tacoma area traveler does not have an alaska mileage number
0: i have my memorized
1: hashtag true Oh really that's kind of awesome it is really the best though when even when i don't fly i can build miles with purchases on my alaska credit card which uh is cool I like that.
0: Yeah, I love it. We book trips using miles all the time. One year, Nate and I gorged ourselves on barbecue in Kansas City Ooh. by using our like miles and companion fare. Another year, we spent a week in New Orleans. You who can that? just, yeah, who dat, who that. I learned that you had to shout that everywhere you went.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah, this is going to be such a great way for you, your boo, and your baby to get away. Plus, your baggage fee is waived if you use Alaska credit card. That's so rad. You can pack all the diapers you want. I'm going to go check
1: out fl- flights right now.
0: All right. To book your next flight, visit alaskaair.com. We fly Alaska. Uh, And we're back. And before we jump back into our conversation, we want to do a little bit of a quick promo for you all. Um, We are really excited to have two of our guests today. Both of them are members of Channel 253. Ladies, why did you join and subscribe to the channel?
2: Because the founders and creators of 253 are incredible and because I wanted a local way to engage civically.
3: Because I consume hours of your content on my drive to and from Kent every day, and I felt that I should give a little cash back to thank you for that.
0: All right. So all you have to do is go to channel com slash membership. So let's jump back in um, to our conversation about uh, white fragility. And I would like to ask, um, I don't know if we're ready to talk about this, but I'd, I'd like us to go in the direction of... Um, the challenges what was really hard to read in terms of personal conviction what were some personal stories that you kind of realized you saw yourself in the text and maybe kind of in that direction of like so then now what do we do about it since we've just been talking about white women tears i know Mm -hmm. i've definitely cried a few of those in some trainings um or in like in in public spaces um although now i think i'm at a point where like If I'm in a circle and we're talking about race and there's a bunch of white people, I'm like, I start to predict like over under like who's gonna cry in here, and then (laughs) then I start to be like, ooh, that lady looks like a crier, you know, or like she's getting emotional. And the funny thing is like when I get emotional about things, like my voice does quiver, you know, Mm. and even if I'm actually when I'm just angry, right, and I'm not gonna cry, but I'm also aware that it looks like I'm then gonna cry, and then I'm like trying to counter the, (laughs) am I gonna cry because I'm not actually gonna cry? I'm gonna punch somebody, but then I don't want to cry because I don't want to be the white fragile lady.
1: You're in the room. What we call the red zone in education,
0: yeah, yeah, that must be what it is, yeah, um, and that's always kind of funny, but then then also, like, I wonder, like, the role of white people, um, in those spaces, too, to because you don't want to coddle, right? Yeah, but then I think one of the things that D'Angelo brings up is like the role of other white people to help you process some of that stuff, mm. so you're not putting um, extra emotional energy on a person of mm-hmm. color to like help you walk through your fragility, yep. and I think that's kind of important, and so I mean, that's one of the things from in my mind that's been I've been thinking about. Um, that's kind of challenged me more like, okay, so should I look at those situations and then um, do something about it? So it's not as much of a burden on other people, mm-hmm. yeah. but I don't want to cater to that person too. So I've been thinking about that challenge, other challenges. Where did you see the book show up in your life?
1: Mm-hmm. You want to hear a funny story? Maybe. Yes. So, <laughs> so I think it's funny now. Um, and also disturbing to me personally that <laughs> I went through this in my brain. Um, in 2016, this is before the primary, before caucusing happened with um, the Democratic Party, and um, Bernie Sanders was riding this wave of, like, um, every every white person I knew was extremely excited about Bernie Sanders. Um, oh, he's great. He's so great. Um, he came to Seattle for a couple of um, rallies, I guess. I don't even know any other way to describe it. Like, just got a bunch of people together. He was at UW, and it was, like, 20,000 people, like— like it was like the Beatles, right? Like everyone was so excited about Bernie Sanders. And this is before you know the convention and everything got, you know, decided that Hillary Clinton was a nominee. And I went up with my neighbor and my wife, and we went to Westlake Park because he was going to be speaking at Westlake Park, but it was also this like rally for healthcare. Mm-hmm. And so we were going for that. And then um, he was also going to be there. And I was like, oh, that's cool because he had been at UW the day before. I was like, I just in- in- interested in seeing him talk. And so we went and the event was, before he got up to talk, the event was disrupted by Black Lives Matter. And they got up on stage and took the microphone and started talking to the crowd about, and I was actually really, really into it um, because it was very, um, I don't know the right word, like exciting in a way. Like, oh, this is like, Politics is happening, right? Like, it was really interesting to be there, but also I was annoyed because I was like, oh, the event got disrupted. Which is like my, my, like, I would say just like human kind of like, I was expecting it to be this way and then it wasn't. Um, that was really frustrating, but I had to check myself repeatedly during this situation and then afterward. And didn't do so very successfully of, like, why did they disrupt this event? I was here Mm -hmm. for this event, and it was disrupted. And it took me actually a long time to reconcile Mm -hmm. that, like, that disruption was really important. Um, He never got to talk, and that was really important. But in the moment, I felt frustrated. Um, And then there was also this, like, contingent. It was mostly, like, older white men who were, like, rushing the stage to try to, like, push Black Lives Matter protesters off the stage and shouting, like racial slurs and I was, it was like one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen in my life. And so that being like, um, I would describe it as like uncanny maybe feeling, but my disappointment at not getting to do the thing that I wanted to do in the moment was like very, um, petty and I didn't understand that immediately. It took me time to like reflect on it and be like, oh no, that was extremely petty. Mm -hmm. It didn't happen the way you wanted it to. Um, you didn't get to see this white guy, old white guy talk about yeah. healthcare, mm. and you're pissed about it, <laughs> but like why? Mm-hmm. And so that was, I would be a moment of white fragility that I had where I was like mad about not getting the thing that I wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> had a little mini tantrum, mini white lady tantrum. Mm.
2: It's
1: a good story. Is it a good, a good story? Example. It's a good example. Okay. I said it was a funny story, but no one's laughing. So it
3: was a good, it was a good story. <laughs>
1: It's funny to think about, like, to me, it's funny to think about all of the people who were like, extremely offended that they didn't get to see Bernie Mm -hmm. Sanders talk. Like, at the time, I was, like, I I was disappointed. And then it took me time to be, like, you shouldn't be disappointed. Well, and particularly what it's being interrupted by, Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter. Exactly. That's that's the thing. Right. That was the thing that, like, it took me time to, like, be, like, no, that was a worthwhile disruption. That happened for a reason. It's important that it happened. Instead of being offended in the moment that I, like... I didn't get the thing that I wanted as a white lady in that space.
3: What were you two thinking about? Um, I think one thing that stood out to me was the concept of white solidarity mm. in terms of there's the unspoken yeah. racial code of don't yes. rock the boat and yep. don't call people out. And throughout my life, you know, Even in the past couple of weeks, there have been moments where I've heard someone say something that did not sound right that I could have called out. And if that, you know, me as the Pacific Northwest middle class white lady is hearing, you know, those handful of comments or moments, what Mm -hmm. are all of the other microaggressions that I'm not even just kind of realizing are happening? Um, I was in a meeting at work a couple of weeks ago. Um, It was a room full of white people Uh, There was one black woman in the room, and we were discussing some event that had happened. And another white woman in the room described the black man that we were talking about as articulate, which I thought, like, we all just kind of knew that wasn't how Mm -hmm. we were describing people anymore. Um, And that was really dissonant in my mind. In the moment I didn't say anything, I kind of looked at the black woman that was in the room, which... Mm -hmm that's not her job to take on kind mm-hmm. of that emotional labor but it was this weird um it was in the context of my professional life and I didn't mm-hmm. interrupt the meeting mm-hmm. which that probably wouldn't have been the right call to like stop the whole conversation and say oh I, let's talk about that word mm-hmm. um but I certainly could have followed up with that woman afterward and I think about that a lot and mm-hmm. you know that's just one example and like what else am I missing and yeah. so just the thought of as you know white people mm-hmm. our job is to interrupt those moments and yeah. have those conversations and to break the code of white solidarity because if there's a club I don't want to be in it's the <laughs> it's right. club. white yeah. people brushing racism under the carpet together club <laughs> <laughs> Collu- <Yeah>. colluding to ignore <laughs> racism <not> that. <laughs> <Seriously>. Well, that's. <laughs> I mean and I'm, we're in that club right <laughs> we, so are, like, we are
2: in that club uh, and so we need to try it. to like I don't want to be in that club that. at all yeah. you know I love it it's yeah. the c words we are complicit we are they... colluding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and
0: I—I I mean, I thought a lot about. <laughs> There's other c words I can think of that also might describe accurately.
2: We have to—we have to retake that word, by the way. I just sort of off-topic. Yeah, topic. I agree about that. Um, but um, I think about the where where now this kind of I have this new awareness, but it butts up against like. HR structures and um, so we're having this conversation at work about norms and changing our culture at work in general and um, I was telling Hope earlier that because some you know a few people at work know that I'm reading this book and uh, doing this work and so somebody put a anonymously put a uh, an article in my inbox um, about called uh, white supremacist norms and uh, values and it's about how to confront norms and values mm-hmm. uh, at work, and it's difficult. I mean, I, I work for the health department, and I mean we have um, structures in place to increase diversity, to mm-hmm. uh, improve equity, and and yet, I mean, I'm constantly coming up, up against what you just described. You're you, you know you, you there are structures at work that make it difficult to really have these conversations mm-hmm. in a genuine authentic way Mm -hmm. Um, you have to come at them very carefully Um, and so I I had an experience just recently uh, at work where you know I'm I will take some time I'll go seek out another white person who I trust to hold me accountable Mm -hmm. uh, process it and then Mm -hmm. figure out how to approach that person Um, but yeah I I am now painfully aware and like you said you know probably probably very unaware of a lot of things that are that mm-hmm. that I, that mm-hmm. I do, um, but it's just that continuum that yeah. I think we have to be. I think that's what she's calling us to do: is to to stay on that continuum mm. of learning mm-hmm. and
1: start where you are, but don't stay there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's um, something about the workplace stuff. I'm glad you mentioned this. That um, Hallie mentioned that <laughs> the the stuff about the workplace conversations can be so tricky, right? Yeah. Because I you both spoke to this but you just kind of having confronted some um unintentionally racist language at work recently from adult persons I'm like which I'll be a little a little cagey about for reasons um that that can be really difficult to have an open conversation especially if you are in a rushed moment like You want to stop and have a conversation, but you're like, nope, got to do this, got to do that. got a thousand things to do on my list, right? And you can't stop. And sometimes even, like you said, like taking time to process what happened um, because it's not automatic necessarily depending on where where you are and you're thinking about um, racism that you don't automatically have the answer, right? Mm -hmm, And you need to sit with it and be like, oh, how should I respond? And sometimes it's ineffective to respond later. And so then you feel paralyzed by fear like, Mm -hmm. oh, how do I bring it up? Yes. Like days later. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like specifically in the workplace,
3: that can be really tricky. And if you unpack that even a little bit more um, in terms of just in the workplace, um, it's like my choice not to. Have spoken to the the woman who mm-hmm. described black man as articulate. That that is one single choice within that moment. Mm-hmm. There are other things that play into it. Mm-hmm. Um, she's higher ranked than I am mm-hmm. in, in the company, that which creates the a conversation even that, more challenging. Yeah. If that if the other white person hasn't started to do some of this work to receive this feedback, that's going to make it really mm-hmm. challenging. And then we get into. Is it potentially limiting to my own career to have these conversations? And then it gets really deep, where I'm valuing mm-hmm. my own stability and the status quo. Yep, right. And I'm yeah. right back in the yep. white solidarity yep. camp because <laughs> yep. yeah. it's going to have an impact on my own personal bottom club. line. Right. You're yeah. like, so how do we? What are you willing to that? risk? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It
0: reminds me. Um, I was thinking about this a little bit earlier, but Sarah Navy on Twitter uh, was reading <laughs> for with us and she uh, quoted a-, a passage that said, in some ways, racism's adaptations over time are more sinister than concrete rules such as Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and that's that's what rem- that reminds me of. Right. These new versions and these new things that we're trying, maybe not new, but just they're more sinister the yeah. way that they show up. And it's really easy, I think, for for white folks to just brush them off. And to say that they're really not that big of a deal or we're overthinking mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Uh, you had a really good comparison earlier to um, the talk comparing like around alcoholism. Would you oh, mind yeah. talking a little
2: bit about that? Um, sure. I, um, God willing, and the creek don't rise, I'll have 17 years of sobriety at the end of this month, February. Nice. So – when i first started to grapple with the fact that i was an alcoholic mm. i would you know talk obviously talk to people around me about it my family and my friends and it was the it was the most interesting experience because they would say to me they would listen you know mm. politely and then they would say well you know i'm not an alcoholic like it, mm. as if you know me grappling with the, that notion caused them to think about their own circumstance and right. It's just interesting because I think that that's sort of the experience that I'm having now is that I start mm-hmm. to grapple with this book and we and I talk about it and I bring it to my workplace which like we just talked about that is that 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 intersectionality is really tough for people. Mm-hmm. In fact, I had I've had um, people come back and say, what are you doing? Why are mm. you doing this? White people mm. will say, you know, that's so inflammatory. Why are you bringing that here? Are you, mm. are you crazy? Um, and, and people of color don't feel comfortable either. So, yeah. I mean, in the in the example that you just talked about, Haley, there's, you know, there's also this place where people of color are like, yeah, no, don't, mm-hmm. uh, you know, don't bring that up here. Yeah. Don't do that. Um and so, I mean, it's 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 just an interesting um, dynamic to to grapple with that personally, mm-hmm. and I think that that's the next stage of this. And like mm-hmm. we, the where our conversation just a second ago was taking me was, where am I willing to go? Yeah. I mean, I mm-hmm. um, over the summer we you know did a few actions through Tacoma against Nazis, and I remember being on my way down to um, sit at a table. It was at the McKinley Fair, mm-hmm. McKinley Street Fair, and I think you had said to me, you know, are you do you feel comfortable? You know that this is this is the neighborhood where these folks, these Nazis live, mm-hmm. and I hadn't really thought about it, but I had been reading this book, and I thought, okay, I'm going to push past this point of discomfort, my own personal mm-hmm. safety. Um, my husband said as I was walking out the door, he said, head on a swivel, mm-hmm. and I mean, I knew I was going to be there with other people, and I didn't really feel like mm-hmm. I was in any danger, but on the way down, I thought, this is how people. Of color feel you know if, if this is even just a, a tiny fraction of, of mm-hmm. the way that people of color must feel I have to push through it and, and really constantly wondering where I'm willing to take this conversation mm-hmm. am I willing to take it to my to my job and risk yeah, all yes. the things that you just talked about am I willing to put my own personal safety on the line um, that's that's what I ask myself that's mm-hmm. what I grapple with now where am I willing to take this and I know I'm pretty, I'm pretty willing to Mm -hmm. go that, to go there and to, um, yeah, I think that's, that's what D'Angelo is calling each Mm -hmm. of us to answer Mm -hmm. that question is Mm -hmm. where are we willing to go? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: That's a great, great question. Um, other, other thoughts on that? What's the next step for us, I guess, or as individuals? That's beautiful. You just said
1: that's so beautiful. Um, just the, I don't know. Yeah. I think everyone has to kind of look within themselves to figure out where that is. And I love this. Like, the idea we keep coming back to of being on a continuum and, like, start where you are. You are. You know, look at where you are. Start where you are. Yeah.
3: I like what you said about, I mean, as we're examining that within ourselves, Mm -hmm. it's kind of figure out where that line is where you start to cross into discomfort and then push past that. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not going up to the edges Mm -hmm. of comfort. It's then what are the next steps that we take?
1: Mm -hmm.
3: There's a... um, Passage, Mm -hmm. this isn't the where do we go from here, but Mm -hmm. um, I highlighted this whole paragraph that I know that because I was socialized as white in a racism based society, I have a racist worldview, deep racial bias, racist patterns and investments Mm -hmm. in the racist system that has elevated me. Mm -hmm. Still, I don't feel guilty about racism. I didn't choose this socialization and it could not be avoided, but I am responsible for my role in it. Mm-hmm. that might be the
0: perfect place to end actually it felt so good
1: I felt um, it felt like it was <laughs>
0: clinched the, the closure for the <laughs> <Yeah>. moment
1: um <laughs> clinched that one yeah
0: <laughs> it's really convicting though that 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 passage that's really powerful well. yeah
1: that's my actually that's my favorite chapter is the, it's like the what's actionable? Like, what can you do? Right. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's, that's the next step. Right. And go we- read this book and then, you know, do something mm-hmm.
3: and remove the guilt because that that's the paragraph. Yeah. where yeah. So much of this. Um, I always go back. There was a, one of my favorite episodes of the Mindy project. Um, <laughs> one of the black female characters says, and I don't even remember the setup for this, but she has a line that's, Oh, um, calling someone a, a white person, a racist is the worst thing you can call them. Mm-hmm. It's their equivalent of the N word. Mm-hmm. And it's like, You know, I, it's so true. It's hilarious because it's true. Um, but pushing past that, like I didn't create this system so I can stop feeling Mm -hmm. like such a bruised ego about it and just move on to the actual work of like, okay, I'm in this system.
1: Right. How am I going to help? And so you see so many people get stuck in the guilt. Right. And so like not once you have that, I don't know, get past the guilt, like helping other people Mm -hmm. go guilt and fear, (laughs) get out of the guilt and fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 We
0: actually have two exciting announcements that are related to this. Two. Um, Exciting announcements. uh, We are fingers crossed, going to be able to interview uh, D'Angelo shortly after this episode is released. And so, um, if you're listening to this, please uh, post any of your questions using the hashtag Read Less Basic. And then, also wanted to make a quick announcement about our next book. Um, Hopefully, people enjoyed listening and we've learned a little bit from each other today. And so, we would like to read uh, White Rage, seemed like a very appropriate book afterwards by Carol Anderson. And I just finished reading that book. It is amazing. It... Um, it is a fantastic uh, woven like timeline of all of our racial history in this country, particularly black and white racial history. So she touches on other um, POC issues, but really is focused on black and white divide. Mm-hmm. And it just ties some um, things together that like we probably have heard in classes or we read somewhere mm-hmm. on the Internet. Um, but she pulls it together in a way that's very compelling, convicting and also just really, really timely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So ladies, thanks Fabulous. for coming. To, thanks for coming on Thank the you show today. So much. Thank you.
2: Really really appreciate it. It. Thank it. you. Thank mm-hmm. you for having us. Bye. Bye. <laughs> the Interchangeable
0: White Ladies podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Listen to our other podcasts: Move to Tacoma, Nerd
1: Farmer, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Founders B Team, We Art Tacoma, and Taco Man. Elliot's in a new size of pajamas. And this is his um, coming home from the hospital outfit and his current pajamas. That's a punch in the ovaries. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really large. He's very large and in charge. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We, we fly buy Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. This is Channel
2: 253.